Podcastle episode 159 for May 31st, 2011. A Judgment of Swords and Souls by Saladin Ahmed. Rated PG. Hello and welcome back to Podcastle. I'm Dave Thompson and I'd like to know, when you think of fantasy fiction, what is it you think of? Sometimes, as Anna, Anne, and I float through the sky in our magical tentacled castle, the most fantastic things we find look so very familiar to the lives we remember living before we were press-ganged into service aboard this bucket of flesh and stone. Sure, when most people hear the word fantasy, their minds immediately go epic. They conjure up images of wands, unicorns, dragons, princesses. I don't mean that as a slam. All those things are cool. That said, fantasy is bigger than all that, of course, and we love looking at the big picture. Whether it's a surreal road trip to California searching for the American dream, a talking lizard and his foot soldier standing in the eye of Hurricane Katrina facing down the hate, or computers that can tell us the future, one thing Anna, Anna, and I love about fantasy is how vast it is. But when I say fantasy is bigger than all that, it's not meant as a slam. We love that stuff about fantasy, too. And with that in mind, there's a certain itch only one thing can scratch. I'm talking, of course, about swords. From Arthur, to Aragorn, to Luke Skywalker, to Eddard Stark, to Harry Potter, to Uther Duel. We love swords, and we want our heroes and heroines to have them. And this week, we've got just the thing for you. Not just the storm of swords, but a judgment of them. We at Podcastle are very proud to present A Judgment of Swords and Souls by Saladin Ahmed. Saladin is becoming something of a fan favorite here at Podcastle. We ran hooves in the hovel of Abdel Jamila last year and Mr. Hodge's Sunset Ride earlier this year. His work has also been published at Strange Horizons, Apex, Drabblecast, and Beneath Ceaseless Skies. His debut novel, Throne of the Crescent Moon, is coming out early next year. This story originally appeared in Orson Scott Card's Intergalactic Medicine Show. Our reader this week is Stephanie Morris. A college student majoring in something new every week, this week is Elvish, I think, and someone we found thanks to her recent narrator drive. She's currently recording Matthew Lewis's gothic novel, The Monk, and posting it to her blog, Scribblomania. If you like haunted castles, swooning damsels, and all manner of excessively fantastic horrors, you need to check this puppy out pronto at scribblemania.blogspot.com. So give us a sword, and we'll win this war for you. Enjoy the story. Judgment of Swords and Souls by Saladin Ahmed Layla Bass Layla's breath came raggedly, and her blue silks were soaked with sweat, but she was pleased with her performance. Ten beheaded in three-score water drops, she lowered her forked sword. The clay and rag dummy skulls littered the packed dirt training yard of the Lodge of God. Boulder-faced Sheikh Safe kicked one aside. He wore the same habit of silk blouse and breeches as she— He had been a member of the order for thirty years longer than she, but even smiling, his craggy features somehow made the bright blue garment seem muted. Only seven and ten years old, and you're better with a forked sword than I was as a dervish in my prime, 
and I was the best. God forgive me my boasts. Layla bowed and sheathed her sword. She ran a hand over her stubbly head and wondered idly how it would feel to have long hair like the women outside the Lodge of God. As if he sensed her thoughts, Sheikh Saif's smile faded. Almighty God willing, some day perhaps your soul will be as disciplined as your sword arm. There was a reprimand in his eyes as well as his words. Layla fingered the red silk scarf wound around her blue scabbard, the only difference between her garments and her teacher's. It was the cause of the discord that was tearing the Lodge of God apart. She said nothing. The sheikh shook his head. Child, again I say you must repent this willfulness. Seven years now I have known you. I cheered as loudly as any when you moved from student to dervish. Your skill, your martial focus. You are unique in this lodge, and not only because you're female. But this scarf, it disgusts me. Disgust. A hard word for her to hear, nearly as hard as if her granduncle, the high sheikh, himself had said it. Sheikh safe, I... No, child, I've heard your reasons. An oath to your mother, God shelter her soul, what you owe her. But what of your obligations to High Sheikh Ali? For forty years your grand-uncle has, praise God, been High Sheikh of this lodge, but by his own words his time in this world is almost at an end. His rivals see a chance for power, that is why they have called this tribunal against you. Every day that you wear the forbidden color, you undo the work that High Sheikh Ali has done, and you strengthen his enemies. Sheikh Rustam has taken up your cause, yes, but you deepen the fractures in the Lodge of God so that it may well split asunder. Dervish fighting against Dervish, and over what? A scarf? A red scarf? Layla shot her eyes downward during the scolding. She thought this training session was meant to help soothe her before the tribunal. Now she saw that it was just another attempt to convince her to break her oath. I swore to my mother, O oh Sheikh, that I would wear her scarf when I came of age. I'm a dervish now and no longer a student. I will keep my oath and God piss on the man who tries to stop me. The curse was awkward in her mouth and she regretted it as soon as she spoke it. These words from you? God forgive you. You've spent too much time talking with caravan guards. I warned your grand-uncle to lock you away when men visit. May God forgive me, my careless tongue. Almighty God forgives us all our failings, child. But you must smother this obstinacy, for it was not put in you by God. Know that for truth. Layla knew it, but she did not feel it. And try as she might, she could not find the shame that should have been there. She bit her lip and fell silent again. Sheikh Saif's expression grew cold. I see that my words still mean nothing to you. May it please God to show you your error before your foolishness rends this lodge in two. In any case, you're Sheikh Rustam's problem now. He turned his back to her. Go bathe. The tribunal will commence within the hour. And since you still parade the traitorous angel's color, your appearance is already offensive. Layla fought back hurt words. She bowed to Sheikh Safe's back and returned to her room to prepare for judgment.
Layla's fingers dug anxiously into the potash and olive soap cake as she scrubbed away the training yard's grime over a pail of spring water. A thousand thoughts raced through Layla's head, but she took a deep breath and rerouted them like a general commanding soldiers. Only one topic mattered, her mother's scarf. For a long time, Layla just stood there, water dripping from her body as she stared at the thing, which was spread like a scarlet serpent across her simple reed sleeping mat. So much trouble over three feet of silk. The heavenly chapter said that the traitor's angel, who was cast out of heaven by God, wore red robes. Many in the order took this to mean that red was unclean, and long-standing tradition banned it from the lodge, even if scripture itself did not. To most of the lodge's students, dervishes and sheikhs, the matter was clear, and her recent insistence on wearing the forbidden color was simply proof that female vanity ought not taint the lodge of God. But as her mother lay dying, she had given the scarf to Layla, to wear on her seventh and tenth naming day, and Layla had sworn in God's name that she would wear it always. In the end, that was all that mattered, that the order considered such odes petty and profane, and that her mother hadn't known what pain the oath would cause did not excuse Layla. Her last words to her mother had been a promise. Oh, believer, God hears your every word and will weigh your lies against your promises. She repeated the bit of scripture again and again in her mind as she donned her blue silks and wound the red scarf back around her scabbard. On the short walk to the tribunal hall, one of her grand-uncle's student attendants ran up to her, huffing. Layla's heart jumped in her chest. What's wrong? The high shake? His illness has not worsened. The high shake, praise God, is better than he's been in days. His speech is clear, and he insists upon presiding over the tribunal himself. The young attendant tried and failed to keep his eyes from Layla's scarf. He bid me fetch you, and says he must speak to you before the proceeding begins. Layla nodded and silently thanked God that her granduncle was fighting the illness that threatened to claim him after nearly a hundred years of life. She followed the attendant to the high sheikh's house. A pack of students hovered about her granduncle's divan. As soon as Layla entered, though, he dismissed them with an irritated emotion. The youths shot surreptitious looks at her scarf as they left. If they can't discipline even their eyes, they will never become dervishes. She looked at her granduncle and saw the white-eyebrowed old man, old even then, who had kissed the top of her head and given her sesame candies when she'd arrived at the lodge as a terrified orphan. He would not kiss her now. Before anything else, she was a dervish and he her high shake. He raised a bone-thin arm in greeting and spoke in his usual to-the-point manner. So, my child, a tribunal. Before it begins, I must ask you again, why do you do this? Because... Oh, High Sheikh, my mother, God shelter her soul, pledged me to it. Her granduncle took a rattling breath. I dandled your mother on my knee, child. My love for her was great, which is why I brought you into this lodge. But the heavenly chapters tell us no man or woman can be closer to you than God. Would you displease him to fulfill an oath to your mother? Forgive me, O oh, High Sheikh. 
but my oath to my mother and my oath to God were said with the same words. And, forgive me, but I am not certain that wearing red in the lodge is truly forbidden. You are right, child. If there is nothing in the heavenly chapters that says in so many words that a dervish must not wear red. Her granduncle spoke carefully, though each word clearly caused him pain. As with so many of the Lodge of God's traditions, this is a matter of interpretation. Still, I could command you to remove that scarf. He winced and fell quiet. Layla hated herself for hurting this old man whom she loved. Her granduncle breathed in and continued, and she had to strain to hear him. I could command you, but it would not be right, for you are a dervish now. In ambiguous matters such as these, you ought to make some of your own rulings. Sheikh Rustam, of course, agrees. He stood up shakily, but as his voice took on the high sheikh's formality, it gained strength. I ask, then, do you swear before God, O dervish, that you have made this ruling in love of and obedience to him? O believer, honor your father and your mother, and you have said a thousand prayers. Layla had repeated that section of the heavenly chapters countless times over the past year. O high sheikh, I do swear it before God. So be it. Would that it could end there. But Sheikh Zad will not let it. He was her granduncle again, and his voice was weaker than ever. God help me, child. Sometimes I think this is just not the place for you. He leaned against the wall and ran his fingers over a map that adorned it. Layla's eyes danced about the city names as they had a hundred times before. Dumsawat, Kez, Tamanjal. Sheikh Rustam had told her stories of each, but swore that stories were not enough. Her granduncle sat back down. Still, all is always as God wills it to be. I'll see you in the tribunal hall, child, and God willing this will end peacefully. Layla thanked her granduncle and backed out the doorway, bowing. Again, confused and fearful thoughts threatened to overwhelm her. She had to keep her oath to God and her mother. There was simply no other way. But at what cost? Layla stepped out into the warming midday air. She hadn't walked ten yards toward the tribunal hall when someone grabbed her from behind and pinned her arms to her body. Wake up now. A drunken cripple could have taken you unawares with your head in the clouds like that. Before she could begin to struggle, she was free again, and tall, long-haired Sheikh Rustam spun her around to face him. You'll need your wits about you when you walk into that hall. Sheikh Zad isn't a man to take mercy on a sleepwalking opponent. Sheikh Rustam had always been Layla's favorite teacher. She was glad to see him before her tribunal. Oh, Sheikh, may God forgive me, for I have brought discord to his lodge. Sheikh Rustam toyed with his thick black mustache and gave a pained smile. He then herded her toward the tribunal hall, speaking softly. Listen to me, Layla Baslayla. You are already a great dervish, better than any man in this lodge with the sword, and purer in regimen than those men who would call you heretic. But this is a much bigger poison pot than you could have cooked up alone. And this bit about the red scarf is merely the bushel that proves the camel's bad back. 
This tribunal is truly meant to determine one thing, which man holds power in the lodge of God. This day has been coming for some time now. They reached the lodge's plain-faced main building. The area about the great brass-bound double doors bustled with students and dervishes who conspicuously averted their gaze from Layla and her sheikh. Sheikh Rustam halted. Just tell the truth and don't let Sheikh Zad cow you. God is with you, for God smiles on all men, but smiles on the righteous man twice. Your case is just. Take strength from that. The sheikh headed for an onion-arched side entrance, while Layla walked on through the great double doors, alone. The tribunal hall was a simple space, one large open room with great carpet spread for the scores of students and dervishes at one end and a low stone platform for the sheikhs at the other. Layla sat alone in the hall center, the assembly murmuring behind her and the sheikhs staring down before her. Her granduncle sat on a juniper wood divan atop the platform, elevated slightly above the simple seat cushions of the senior sheikhs. Those three sat cross-legged before the high sheikh, Sheikh Rustam, who winked at her affectionately, Sheikh Saif, who, as recorder, would stay silent during the proceedings, and lastly, staring at her as if at a sucking beetle found in his palate, Sheikh Zad. Layla looked back toward the assembly, anxious to avoid Sheikh Zad's gaze, but then she saw Hakum, a dervish barely older than she, he was one of Zad's most fervent supporters. He scowled at her. He was tall and powerfully built, but Layla had outsparred him twice. It was Hakum who had first run to Zad to report Layla's scarf. As she frowned at him, he did not look away, but deepened his scowl and put his hand to his sword hilt. Then Sheikh Saif was speaking, and Layla focused on the matter at hand. Let your trials serve justice, not pageantry save the heavenly chapters. It has always been so with the Order's tribunals, and so we lay the matter out plainly now. The dervish Layla Bas Layla has been called to tribunal by Zad, Sheikh of the Lodge of God. May God, who alone knows what is true and what is false, guide us to a just outcome. Sheikh Zad? I beseech God's blessings on us all, and may God guide us to justice, Sheikh Zad invoked. Layla Bas Layla, seven years ago you were brought into the lodge as a student. Only last year you donned the blue silks of a fool dervish, which have been granted to only three females in the order's distinguished history. And how have you repaid the lodge of God? Sheikh Zad paused and frowned. His slow, cold speech reminded Layla of a lizard's slither. Indeed, how have you repaid Almighty God himself? This scarf, this red scarf. Wearing the traitor's angel's color would be foul on Dumswald's decadent street, let alone in the lodge where our traditions ban it. What justification can you have for this blasphemy? Layla had made an oath to God and her mother. An oath. How many times had she repeated that to herself? With the eyes of all the lodge on her, all she could do was tell Sheikh Zad the same thing again in different words. As I've told you before, O oh Sheikh, this scarf was given to me by my mother, 
God shelter her soul, the woman who brought me up to piety and led me to the lodge of God. More's the pity, Sheikh Zad interrupted. Layla made herself wait for his nod before continuing. As she lay dying, I swore to her before God and his angels that I would remember her by wearing her scarf. My mother was a believer, but an outlander. In her country, such a scarf is passed from mother to daughter, and Sheikh Zad snorted and spoke scriptures of lecturing a child. For God, the whole world is but a footstep, he quoted. God's law knows no borders. The scarf is red, and red is the traitorous angel's badge. Nothing could be simpler. Besides Zad, Sheikh Saif nodded solemnly. Layla spoke quickly, knowing that she would falter if she hesitated. While the traditions do say that wearing red is forbidden by God, O Sheikh, you know better than one so ignorant as I that this is largely based on opinion. There is nothing explicit in the heavenly- Opinion? Sheikh Zad moistened his lips and smiled a smile that made Layla afraid. I am twenty years a Sheikh, and you are barely a dervish girl. As far as you're concerned, I determine what is blessed and what is forbidden. There was a loud scraping as her granduncle shot up from his divan, with none of the usual wincing. Watch your tongue, Zad! He had not sounded so strong in months. Do not forget that all power comes from God. I will not have usurpers of his authority sleep in his lodge. He sat back down, clearly exhausted. Sheikh Zad barely hid his irritation. Of course, oh, hi, Sheikh. Forgive my careless words. They were spoken in anger. He turned his gaze back to Layla, and she felt as if a sword were pointed at her. You were telling us, child, about your learned scholarship, you who can hardly read the heavenly chapters. Please continue. Sheikh Rustam replied before Layla could. She is not a scholar, Sheikh Zad, but I am. O oh, believer, know that God is the fairest judge and the most doting father, say the heavenly chapters. Come now, brothers. We all know the truth. The girl has always been pious in her conduct. We have all seen the miraculous speed with which she moves and leaps, and her prowess with the sword. If you're honest with yourselves, you see God's hand at work in her uncanny skill. Ah, <laughs> that the girl has a strange strength, I grant, Zad said. But her power comes not from God, but from the traitor's angel. No doubt this is why she wears his badge of wickedness. Layla held her tongue, though it wasn't easy. Sheikh Rustam smirked. Oh, Zad, God knows you're a veritable scholar of wickedness. Still, at its bottom, this is where we are. The girl is a full dervish, however young. She has made a fair ruling, given the heavenly chapter's ambiguity, a valid, if provocative, interpretation. He stroked his mustache. I find Layla's daring paradoxically pious in its way, for above all are love and bravery blessed, and... He who honors his mother hath a feast set him in paradise. The oasis sheikh, God shelter his soul, taught, Keep your heretical interpretations to yourself, Zad spat. Sheikh Rustam frowned. The oasis sheikh was a revered saint who, he was the degenerate founder of a degenerate school, a lover of boys who thought himself a mystic. Zad, 
her granduncle shouted, as loud as his feeble lungs would allow. He was on his feet again. Layla could not quite sort out all the hollering that followed. She'd always been bored by books and the traditions, by scrolls and sermons. Even her command of the heavenly chapters wasn't what it ought to be, she knew. For seven years now, she'd spent every moment she could in the training yard or the archer's copse or the pool of hardening. This back and forth of saints and scriptures meant little to her. But in Zad's eyes she saw something that she knew well enough. Rage. Again, her granduncle's reedy shout cut through the other sheikh's voices. Disgraceful! I will not have the Lodge of God torn apart in these disputes. In God's name, I... His words stopped as his eyes bulged out and he fell back in his seat. He sucked in a breath and Layla was close enough to see him grit his teeth. With every bit of discipline her training had given her, she kept from leaping to his side. Such a display would weaken his hand, and in this hall he was the high sheikh, not her granduncle. We will adjourn. Her granduncle bit the words out and put his hand to his chest. Two attendants half carried him out of the room. Sheikhs Safe, Rustam, and Zad followed the high sheikh. After a long, shocked silence, the hall began to clear. No! No! He can't be dead! Layla wailed. She sat on a large rock near the archer's copse with Sheikh Rustam, who, with strong arms and a vial of salt and violet, had twice now kept her from collapsing. His own eyes shone with tears that did not quite fall. Listen, child... High Sheikh Ali scolded me often, but without his guidance, I'd never have become a Sheikh. I loved him, and I feel his loss, for death is only a loss for the wicked and the living. Yet if we would honor your granduncle's memory, there is work that falls to us, work that leaves us little time for grieving. You recall what the Lodge of God's traditions mandate in a situation such as this? Layla's memory struggled through grief and neglected lessons. When the answer came to her, she gasped. The judgment of swords and souls! So, your learning isn't so poor as some wagging tongues say. Yes, the judgment. Zad, in his lust for power, insists upon determining the new high shake immediately after your granduncle's funeral. At the word funeral, Layla felt a sob rising up in her but she smothered it and clenched her jaw. Sheikh Rustam went on. The judgment is a matter between sheikhs. Its contests of swordplay and piety act as arbiters between us and help us find our leader. But we sheikhs are measured by our pupils as well, and so we are accompanied in the judgment by a dervish of our choosing. Zad will bring that little shit in a big man's body, Hakum, and I'll bring you. Now, I ought not ask this. For high Sheikh Ali's sake, I should protect you. But the lodge that he has built needs your help. Sheikh Rustam stood. Layla winced and felt weariness creep in, but there was no time for it now. She rose, and she and her teacher walked side by side. I mourn my granduncle, O oh Sheikh. But Sheikh Zad must not become high Sheikh. To tell truth, my granduncle spoke of your someday taking that place. Sheikh Rustam's eyes shone again. Me? 
Handshake? Truly. And here I thought he had cast me in the dross pile for a hopeless libertine. Nonetheless, I loved him. And I am proud to see that his grandniece has made a fine dervish. Daring, honest, and pointed, as the traditions say a dervish must be, like God's own sword at the heart of injustice. Her teacher had recaptured a bit of his bombast, and Layla drew strength from it as she walked. They entered the burial yard. From the small minaret above the high sheikh's house, the funeral caller cried out scripture about souls weighed on golden scales and the brevity of men's lives. Death rites at the lodge were simple, with none of the trilling and sweets that she remembered from her mother's funeral. Within the order, the rites grew simpler the more venerated the deceased was, so that the funeral for a high sheikh was a very brief affair. Quiet recitation from the heavenly chapters, a plain white winding sheet, a cup of clean water passed about the mourners' mouths. Leila could not focus on even these simple, pious gestures. Her thoughts kept returning to the judgment of swords and souls. A strange giddiness crept over her, and she had to keep herself from smiling. And in an hour's time, she would have a sword in her hand, and all of the intrigue and ceremony would be beside the point. She would prove with her skill that the Lodge of God belonged to her and those she loved. Before an hour had passed, the ceremony was over, and she was walking toward the training yard. Sheikh Rustam fell in beside her. He diverted them, taking an indirect route. As they walked, he twirled his sword between his left and right hands, an old order exercise for mind-focusing and wrist-limbering, which he'd always performed with a unique flair. But the Sheikh displayed little of his usual mirth. "'Listen closely.' I want to be sure you're clear about how the judgment will proceed. After the opening invocation, the middle tambour will sound, and you and Hakum will duel until one of you is disarmed and yields, or Sheikh Safe sounds the low tambour to signal a breach of rule. You may wield no weapon other than your body and your forked sword. To blind, cripple, or kill is to forfeit victory. When the duel between you and the dervishes is over, the high tambour will sound, and then Zad and I will cross swords, bound by the same rules. What if I lose? You won't, God willing. Regardless, the outcome of both sword judgments are considered mere preliminaries to the judgment of souls that follows. After the two duels, Zad and I, our spirit strengthened or weakened by our own contest and that of our pupils, will have a battle of closeness to God— a weaponless duel of gazes and all that lies behind a gaze. It is the judgment of souls that truly determines the contest's winner. It was as strange a notion to Layla as when she'd first read about it. Still, beneath all the words it meant that, between the contesting sheikhs, the best and most pious warrior would become high sheikh, which surely meant that Sheikh Rustam would win. She smiled and said so, but Sheikh Rustam sheathed his sword and frowned at this. It's not so simple, Layla. With High Sheikh Ali Ghan, God shelter his soul. The lodge already half belongs to Zad. But if we win the judgment, then things will be different. Sheikh Rustam ran one hand over his mustache. Perhaps. At least, if we win the judgment, I will be High Sheikh in name. But don't put too much faith in even a zealot's adherence to inconvenient old codes. 
Too many men here are loyal to Zad. The largest troubles will have just begun. Still, if we lose... He held Layla's gaze. It won't be easy for you. Your granduncle's authority protected you from... many things. If we lose, I'll be under Zad's authority, and I won't be able to protect you. Layla took a moment to think about what that might mean, but it changed nothing. I understand. Sheikh Rustam's solemn stare broke into a smile. But why do I speak so grimly? God forgive me my boasts, but I could defeat two Zads even if I missed my morning tea and yogurt. No reason to fear, child. They arrived at the training yard, and Layla hoped to Almighty God that her teacher was right. Two hundred men and boys, students and dervishes alike, stood forming a large circle around the training yard. Even more men than had been at the tribunal. The entire lodge, in fact. It was as she had expected. The crowd parted as she and Sheikh Rustam made their way into the circle. Leila ignored the murmured words that followed her. She stepped into the circle and saw that Sheikh Zad and Hakum were already nearing its center. Beside her, Sheikh Rustam said nothing, but flashed her a grim smile as they went to stand face to face with their opponents. Sheikh Saif, acting as judge, stood just inside the circle. He held a small mallet over a three-tiered tambour. He called out in a clear, thunderous voice, If there is no high sheikh, there is no lodge of God. So say our traditions. So it is that we gather here to... He said more words, but Layla did not really hear them. She studied Hakum, weighed a different opening gambits. She gripped her sword hilt and nearly jumped when the middle tambour sounded. Hakum wasted no time in beginning his attack. He was one of the biggest dervishes in the lodge, and the savage blows Layla parried were jarring. Her teeth rattled, but she was confident. She'd bested Hakum each time they'd met in the training yard. He fought now as he had then, still believing that raw strength was enough against her. She watched his hacking sword arm with disdain, waited for her chance. He kicked her left shin, hard. Layla hopped back two steps and nearly buckled from the pain. Hakum pressed the attack, but she gave no more ground. She saw her opening. She slashed out once and sliced open Hakum's forearm. Another swift blow knocked his sword away. As Layla expected, he scrambled for his lost weapon. But then, without retrieving his sword, he turned awkwardly and swung at her. Was the angry fool venturing his bare hands against her? She brought her arm up in a scornful block and felt a blade bite deep into her flesh. A second weapon. The dog had a palm dagger, a coward's weapon, and blasphemy to bring into the judgment. The pain seared. Surely Sheikh Safe would call this a breach of rule and sound and end to the duel. The traditions demanded it but she dared not turn to catch the sheikh's eye, and the low tambour did not sound. A few fainting steps brought her into sheikh safe's line of vision, but he just stared at her coldly. Of course, even the traditions did not matter to him so much as a unified lodge. He had chosen not to see the dagger. So this is how things stand. The wound in her arm burned, but she had her sword and Hakum had only a tiny dagger. There was no contest. With two vicious but careful slashes, she disarmed him a second time. 
She slapped his face with the flat of her blade for good measure before she cried, Yield! The big, sour-faced dervish breathed heavily. He did not speak or move. Yield! Layla repeated. Another silent moment. Then Hakum bowed stiffly to her. With murder in his eyes, he mumbled, I yield. As soon as the words left Hakum's mouth, the high tambour sounded, and Sheikhs Rustam and Zad stepped toward each other, swords drawn. The forked sword of the order was a slashing weapon, but Sheikh Rustam thrust his out before him. He easily kept Zad at a distance. Then Sheikh Rustam darted his sword tip almost past Zad's own sword. Zad clumsily turned away the blow, but he was in a desperate defensive position now. Sheikh Rustam drove him back a dozen steps with a whirling attack that made his one sword seem like three. Sheikh Rustam toyed with Zad, wearing the older Sheikh down. Zad was not unskilled with the sword, but Layla thought her teacher had boasted true. It would take two Zads to even challenge one Sheikh Rustam. Again and again the two swords crossed in parries and flurries of blows. Sheikh Rustam touched his opponent five or six times to Zad's one. The older Sheikh managed to get in one more accurate slash at Sheikh Rustam's arm before Layla's teacher knocked the weapon from Zad's hand. There was no question who would win the judgment of swords. Sheikh Rustam still held his blade, and his forearm was marred only by two small slashes. Sheikh Zad was disarmed, and his silks had been sliced open in a dozen places. Still, Zad smiled as if some comforting thought kept the pain from him. Sheikh Zad moved to recover his weapon, but Sheikh Rustam pointed his own sword at his opponent's throat. Yield! the younger Sheikh boomed. Zad still smiled when he ought to have been furious. I yield. Sheikh Rustam nodded and sheathed his sword. But something seemed wrong. He'd barely exerted himself in defeating Zad, yet sweat poured down his face, and his breath was now coming sharper and quicker. All three tambour tears sounded in quick succession, and Sheikh safe intoned, Thus ends the judgment of swords. But the heavenly chapters say, The strong soul of the believer can stand against seven swords. Prepare, O Sheikhs, for God's judgment of souls. Again, Sheikh Safe struck the three tiers of the tambour. Their gazes locked, the two Sheikhs moved in unison. Each took one long step back from the other and sank down to sit cross-legged on the packed dirt. And then Layla knew something was wrong. Though he held Zad's gaze, Sheikh Rustam was sweating and breathing harder than ever. It wasn't battle fatigue. Layla had sparred with her teacher countless times, and she'd never seen this. The two sheikhs continued to stare at one another, their souls in a strange, silent duel. But after a few long moments, Sheikh Rustam began to swoon, and he huffed as if he'd been running for hours. It made no sense, except poison. Just as the thought formed in her head, her teacher swooned again, as if he couldn't breathe. He righted himself and kept his gaze hard on Zad, who suddenly seemed, behind his own strange stare, to be afraid. Then Shakra's dumb collapsed. Poison! It was the only explanation. Caring little for propriety, she scrambled to his side as Sheikh Safe sounded the high tambour and shouted words about victory and God's judgment. When Layla reached her teacher, 
she saw that Sheikh Rustam would never breathe again. Poison was the most reprehensible weapon in existence, according to the traditions. Zad visibly withheld a smile as he looked on Sheikh Rustam's body. In his eyes, she saw her suspicions were right. But if she was close enough to see the signs, surely Sheikh's safe was. Layla turned to him. What? What could cause this Sheikh's safe? Only an envenomed sword! The assembly murmured around them. Sheikh's safe's look was dark, but he said nothing. Zad turned toward her and shrugged. His wicked soul shriveled when it stood unmasked before a servant of righteous and all-scouring God. Such things have happened before in the judgment of souls. No! No! She was screaming, and she did not care. This is wickedness! This is no fair judgment! This is murder! She fell to her knees beside Sheikh Rustam's now lifeless body. Sheikh Safe knelt next to her and spoke softly. Be still, child. It's out of our hands now. This is why we have the judgment. The lodge must shed its diseased limbs so that the body does not die. He knew that Sheikh Rustam had been poisoned, but even this wouldn't cause him to act against Zad. Layla saw it in his eyes. A united lodge of God. He placed a hand on Layla's shoulder. She jerked away from his touch and stood. Zad is the diseased limb! She screamed. A user of poisons, as disgraced in the traditions as the blasphemer. You all see this, yet you say nothing! A last bit of something careful and thoughtful in Layla seemed to burn and blow away like ash. She turned to Zad. Poisoner! Son of a whore! God piss on you, murderer! They were the words of caravan guards, and Hakum snarled at them. But Zad restrained his pupil with a raised hand and smiled. I forgive your angry words. You are a girl taught by a heretic and a soft old man. You cannot be blamed. But an influence such as yours cannot be allowed to remain. Zad would not strike her. He did not need to. He would simply cast her out of his lodge, coinless, friendless, and dishonored. Her granduncle and Sheikh Rustam were dead. Their enemy had won. She could not let it be this way. She focused on her breathing, her blade, the mocking Sheikh across from her. Zad had killed Sheikh Rustam, who had shown Layla how strong she might be. But if her teacher could look on now, he would see her strength. Her sword appeared suddenly in her hand. She flew at Zad. Before the Sheikh or his pupils even got their weapons up, Layla's sword made three deep cuts at Zad's neck and shoulders. He gurgled as he fell. Then he stopped moving. The assembly rang with men's shouts and the drawing of swords. Sheikh Safe bellowed her name, hands clutched at her. Her blade bit into flesh again and again. Hakum fell before her, clutching at his bleeding gut. Her sword flashed. She heard screams, watched a man's severed fingers arc through the air. Whether her power came from God or from the traitorous angel, Layla was faster than any man at the lodge. She bolted through the stunned assembly, out the great double doors, 
and into the cool night air. Layla ran down the rocky path that led away from the lodge. The shout slowly grew more distant behind her. She headed off the path and down into the stony hills. Picking her way among the rocks, she ran for an hour before stopping beside a great gray boulder. She held her breath and listened for sounds of pursuit, but heard none. She allowed herself a few huffing breaths and put her hand to her sword hilt. Merciful God, please, no, this can't be. But it was. Brushing against her scabbard, her fingers touched only leather. No scrap of silk was wound there. During the judgment, or when she'd killed Zad, or perhaps when she'd fought through the assembly, somewhere she had lost her mother's scarf. Her granduncle, Sheikh Rustam, her home in the Lodge of God, her oath to her mother, all lost. And what did she have? Revenge? Sheikh Zad's death meant little enough when she thought on it. How she had burned to kill him. But now his allies, men who called God's name as they took what they wanted, would run the lodge, even if Sheikh's safe became high Sheikh in name. Her life in the order was over. She would never become a Sheikh as she'd once dreamed, and she had maimed and killed men, other dervishes. She'd done it simply by reaction. It wasn't as hard as the Sheikhs had made her believe. She felt no shame thinking on Hakum and Yusuf had it been, Mamet, others whose names she'd never retained had gotten in the way as well. Her eyes stung and her stomach clenched, but she felt no shame. What had she become, she wondered, that she could kill others of the order and feel no shame? Layla inspected herself, bruised and cut, her blue silks tattered and stained with blood. She could not continue to wear them, and not only because they were ruined, she was no longer a dervish. She thought of the map on her granduncle's wall in all the cities listed there. She quickened her pace through the hills. Saint Star Robber's Roast Lamb. More caravan guards' words she shouldn't have heard. Layla weighed them heavily now, her hand on her sword. She could never be a saint now. God would not forgive what she had done, nor would the order. They might even send men to hunt her. Let them, she decided, looking about the barren hills. She realized that she had become something new in those moments after Sheikh Rustam's death. Something disappointing to God, perhaps, but terrifying to wicked men like Zad. She would do what she had to. Saint Star, Robber's Roast Lamb. She had to go somewhere. And three days' walk from the Lodge of God was a soft city full of rich men, a whole new world full of bolts of red silk waiting to be taken. And welcome back. Hope you enjoyed it. We all have dreams of what we're going to be when we grow up, whether it's rock stars, movie gods, pro athletes, or um, podcast editors and hosts. Sometimes those dreams get shattered. Sometimes we're betrayed by people close to us. Sometimes when that happens, we're able to take the pieces of those broken dreams and make something better out of them. 
Maybe on a different journey than the one we thought we were originally on, but that's what makes life worth living, right? The unexpected. So we'll keep dreaming, and we'll keep going on to whatever path we find ourselves on. Thanks Saladin for the story, and to Stephanie for reading it. Okay, we're going to switch gears and do things a little bit differently for feedback this week, and that's because we're talking about Jennifer Pellin's Nebula-nominated The Ghosts of New York, read by Rashida Smith, a horrific story about some of the ghosts of 9-11. I think at least partially due to the subject matter, people's reactions were all over the map on this one. People called it offensive, swore never to read or listen to another Jennifer Pelland story, and suggested that we the editors, as well as Pelland, were torturing the poor spirits of the people who died that day. Which is honestly a bit rough to read. Other people wrote to tell us that we were brave, bold, and had the proverbial balls to publish it, which, if nothing else, I'm sure made Anna smile. Okay, I appreciated it too. I was emailing with a friend about it who admitted he had mixed feelings about the story himself, and I told him I thought running fun stories like Mr. Hodge's Sunset Ride, Wizard's Apprentice, and The Hortlock right before it might help ease some of the offensiveness of this one. But you know, we probably could have run about 10 other additionally quote fun stories right before it and received a similar response. Here are a couple comments that struck me from two people from New York City which I think help remind me how emotional of a subject this is to some of us still. HCP56 said, I listened to this story today after hearing Osama bin Laden had been killed, so the events of 9-11 had been on my mind since Sunday night. This story made me cry. I almost stopped listening at the beginning. I wasn't offended, it was certainly thought-provoking. I certainly appreciated the inclusion of the other disasters from New York City to balance the horror of 9-11. I guess I consider myself lucky. I experienced the fear and shock of the event, but not the deep grief of those who actually lost friends and family. If I had, maybe I would feel differently about this story. Spin Daddy said, I wasn't offended, but I couldn't listen because it brought all the emotions back. Several people I once knew died that day. I know others who had randomly been either late to work or decided to stay home. I remember days of driving into work with that huge smoke pillar always on the horizon. I remember in the days that followed standing on the shore looking out with other people. The silence was unnerving. I remember being on the phone late night with friends that had trouble coping. Time had passed and I've healed as much as I'm going to. Reading the synopsis stopped me cold and brought those memories all back. There was no way I could drive to work with the New York City skyline in front of me and have a good day. Like I said, I'm not offended or angry, it's been 10 years. I think what bothers me the most about this story is that if you change the names of the places around, made the date different, I'm fairly certain I would have listened to it and not batted an eye. Actually, after running this story, I've been wondering about that a bit as well, Spin Daddy. Several other posters on our forum commented on how this story could have been told without invoking 9-11, just with a different disaster and a more anonymous setting, and been less offensive. I have to be honest, I have a hard time understanding that. Don't get me wrong, I completely respect that Pellin's story was a difficult one for some of you to listen to, and I respect those of you who chose not to listen to it just as much as those of you who did, but 
why is it okay to show in graphic detail two deaths, exactly the same in all their horror, and yet finally only one of them offensive? Personally, I have to say that distinction doesn't quite make sense to me. Horror is horror, tragedy is tragedy, and that's one of the reasons why I read fiction, to help me come to grips with it when life itself doesn't do the best of jobs. Alright, I've gotten long-winded again. Sorry about that, and thanks for putting up with me. And tell us what you think over at forum.escapeartist.net. Seriously, we love hearing from you all. Thanks. And if you like what we're doing, hit us up over at podcastle.org. If you sign up with us for a $5 a month donation, all the better. We've got something extra nice planned for you folks. I'll be back soon to talk to you about it. So that was our show. We really do appreciate you letting us at PodCastle share another story with you. We'll be back next time to raise the dead with a new manifesto, courtesy of Ben Burgess, the author of our very first PodCastle original. Until then, whether or not you're disappointing to God, we hope you make your life one worth living. With a sword, of course, and bolts of red silk. See you next time. PodCastle is a production of Escape Artists Incorporated and is distributed on a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives license. Share it, but don't change it or sell it. Our theme music is by Shiva in Exile. You can find them at magnatune.com. You can discuss this episode of PodCastle or nearly anything else on our forums. Just visit forum.escapeartist.info. And if you like science fiction or horror, be sure to visit our sister podcasts, Escape Pod and Pseudopod. And if you enjoyed this episode, tell a friend, or post to your blog about it, or consider donating via the PayPal link on our site. Tim Powers said, Maybe it's better to be an outlaw with a purpose than a citizen without. arise to bring a quick end to the flowing stream of the blood and tears. 